Let's pray together. Father, now as we open your word, we humble ourselves before you. You are the teacher, and we are the students. We need your love. We need your wisdom. We need your holiness. Lord, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give to us. And what we are not, make us. In Christ's holy name, amen. Okay, so throughout, if you follow along with all the texts that we're going to quote and reference tonight, you're going to maybe be a little confused, and that is in that I'm going to be quoting and reading these texts from a variety of different translations. I think that referencing and, and pulling in, you know, different translations, different uh, wor ways of understanding the text is a fruitful thing. I think it's very beneficial to us. And, and it helps us to think afresh and think new about the text, which sometimes can become very familiar to us. So I want to begin tonight by, we'll start um, with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Our focus, like I said, was going to be primarily on uh, verse 17, but I want us to read verses 1 through 23 to put this in context. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying that he ascended, what does it mean? But that he has also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who has descended is the one who has also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, <clears throat> from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not 
the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off the old self, which belongs to the, your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to renew and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in truth, true righteousness, and holiness. So our meditation tonight is one of separation, one that signals a transition. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4 signals a, a transition, a, trans, uh, uh, a moving from, in the first three chapters, he principally talks about doctrine, and then in the last three, he talks about the practice of that doctrine. So one good thing to note, side footnote on this, is that action, the way of life, is informed by doctrine, by what we believe, what we know to be true, that will change us and change the way we live in this world. So this signals not only a transition within the letter of the overall letter of Ephesians, but it's also, I think, a transition of going from a doctrinal statement uh, into one of application, but also one that gives a special importance to the transition that God has accomplished in his people. So what you see overall in the church, you also see reflected in the individual Christian. And this text, now I say this and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. That is a signaling us a separation, and it's talking about a separation, which we will see reflected throughout the book of Ephesians. There's two main points that I hope we take away with from tonight. That we understand what we have been delivered from and that we know what we have been delivered to. So this I say and insist in the Lord that you no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Let's first then briefly look at this verse more closely as to the actual words used in it. And I think this will help us uh, see more clearly what is being done. Two main words that we should note. So I say this and insist in the Lord. Or as the ESV says, now I say and testify in the Lord. I appeal to you, one uh, translation says, I appeal to you and I declare to you solemnly. Paul is making clear the weight of what he is presenting with us. Take this to heart. He's almost swearing an oath here. It's, if it makes you, uh, uh, may call to mind what uh, our Lord and Savior used to say all the time. Truly, truly, I say unto you. Or in solemn truth, I say to you now. And that's what Paul's about right in this text. In solemn truth, listen to this. Take this to heart. The Greek word here actually means to call to witness or to make a solemn affirmation. The next word of note that I want to emphasize on here 
is the word futility. No longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. This word could also be translated as vanity or folly. And what text in the Bible does that possibly remind you of? In Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's futility. The word really means, and they say that this, in, this Greek, uh, uh, the word is actually a, uh, uh, developed from the Hebrew word, which was for futility. You know, is, this is just a vapor. This is just a, a breath of air. That's how much substance this has. So he's being very, very critical of uh, the, the world around us. Don't live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. He's telling us in the strongest of terms that we are to what? We must no longer live in their ways. Something has happened that has changed everything. Romans 1, if you would turn there quickly. This is what's happened. Romans 1, verse 21 through 23. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Again, look at, please, with me at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Like I said, we're going to be bouncing around a bit here, so... First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Again, we have that word. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. In a nutshell, we are to be different. Sounds very simplistic. It's not. We are to be different. Now, in our verse that we're looking at, verse 17, which we've read repeatedly at this point, is actually a reinforcement of a thought which Paul begins in chapter one, uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. Paul has a tendency to do this in his teachings. He, he'll start with a topic, and then he kind of gets sidetracked into a, a side note. He could, runs with that for a while, and then he jumps back to what he, what he had started saying to begin with. Maybe in ancient times that was a more common way of thinking. I think for most of us in the modern world today, it's, it's almost, uh, uh, you know, you come to and you kind of, what, okay, where does this coming from? What, what is he jumping back to? Why, why all that? But it's really a reinforcement because right in verse uh, uh, 1 of chapter 4, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. And then in verse 16, now I say to you, in verse 17, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He then... Uh, 
you know, after in first one, he the sidetracked as he gets into the to the issue of the church, how the church is structured, how our salvation, and that we are saved not as a bunch of islands in the ocean, but we are we are not each alone. We are saved into the church, which is Christ's body. We have unity and and uh, identity with one another because we are in Him. It's not because we're all alike. It's not because we all see the things the same way. It's not because we all feel things the same way. It's because we are in him. And he is the glue, as it were, that unifies and brings the church together. Don't live a life like the world. So what has actually happened here? Something's changed. We looked at these verses. We see how corrupt the world is. We see the futility of the world around us. And don't fool yourself into thinking, well, I was never really like that. I wasn't that bad. That, that never, those words don't characterize me. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. I think we all have to take a deep breath and take an honest look at, at the, the heart, our hearts and see that this is something that affects all of us. There's a lot that could be said about this whole subject, but tonight I want to focus on what may be, from what you've heard from me so far tonight, surprising. Be thankful. Be grateful. Rejoice, brethren. First, we should be thankful. Ephesians 2, if you want to flip over, verses 1 through 3. You were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Skip down to verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And then back to write our text, verse 18 in chapter 4. Again, we're coming back to this topic again. They, the unbelievers, are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedily, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Can you see the, the, the thread that's going through these chapters? Brethren, this was you. This was you. But then we come to a text like Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and has raised us up with him and seated us 
with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Those words are the glorious words that turn us around. But God, we were corrupt. We, you, I mean, you can go through all of Old Testament and New Testament, descriptions of the world, descriptions of sinful man. The list would be longer than any of us could even uh, spend hours trying to, to list them all. But God intervened. God stepped in. And those should be blessed words to us. And we see those words again, you know, repeated. We saw that there in verse 4, you know, uh, Ephesians 2, 4. But God, this is, he gave, we read the description in verses 1 through 3. This is how horrible the world is. But God. And then the same in, in uh, uh, Ephesians 2, verse 13. We read, you know, 11, 12, about how, again, how bad the world is. But now, in Christ. You who were once afar off have been brought near. And again, immediately after our text, now this I say, you must not longer w w walk in the ways of them. Uh, and then he says uh, in verses uh, uh, 20 through 24, but you. So again, we have the same kind of little formula, but God, but now in Christ. But you didn't learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard of him and have been taught by him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former way of life, former way of life, you are to rid yourselves of the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of the sea, that you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness, holiness of the truth. That is the world, have no doubt, and it was once true of us. But God has intervened. He has not left us in our misery and hopelessness and despair. This is why I think this text signals a turning point and signals for us to rejoice in him. God has intervened and translated us into his son and thus into his kingdom. It came from outside of us, and there is nothing we could have done to achieve it. When we look at the world around us, isn't it the, what we've read an accurate description? Look at the world today. Look at how the world lives its life. Look at what's important to the world. And everything that man has tried to do has failed to cope with it. Is political action dealing with moral decay in this country? Can education deal with it? Read your newspapers. Well, your news blog. Your news podcast. And I think it'll, the answer is self-evident. Violence and crime is not confined to the uneducated, but we find it in all stratas of society. Take all your social agendas, everything man has ever been able to think of. How could it possibly deal with a situation such as that which we have been considering in these verses? 
despair, degradation, corruption, hardness of heart, hatred towards God. When you're dealing with a darkened mind, when you're dealing with a darkened mind, with a darkened, hardened heart, all of which is opposed to God, vile and foul, what is the value of a moral talk? What is the power of any legislation? You can't change men's nature by passing an act of Congress. You can try to restrict the behavior, but you can't change the heart. You can't legislate a new heart. You can't change the nature of corrupt man by giving them a new house or by anything else you may do for them. The gospel always comes as a contrast. It is not an extension of human philosophy. As the uh, reformers used to say, it is an alien righteousness. It comes not from us. It comes from outside of us. It's not a bit of appendix to the book of life or a mere addition to something that men have been able to evolve in and of themselves. No, it is altogether from God. It is uh, from above. It is from heaven. It is supernatural, miraculous, and divine. And it is this, the gospel, which comes in as light into the midst of darkness and hopelessness and unutterable despair. But it does come in just like that. Praise him. But God. There has been a separation. The Christian has been laid hold of. He has not been dragged. He has been dragged out of that life. And he has been put into another life. A new life. Like is what we read. Put off the old man. Put on the new. We have been born again. We have been recreated. We are truly a new creation. The Christian is one by, uh, who, by definition, has been separated from the world. Therefore, you, as it says, you must no longer walk like they do. Because you're not them any longer. Your identity has been changed. I don't know how many of you, some people, everyone comes to the Lord in, in different ways. In my life, my conversion was dramatic, shocking, and totally uh, turned my world upside down to the point where I closed my eyes to pray and plead with God not to leave me in my sin. And when I opened up, the world seemed quite literally different. And I can't assume that everyone's had that kind. But when you've had this, uh, an experience like that, when you've realized how much God has worked in you, how significant the change is in you, that will bolster the desire and the need to, I have to live a new way because look at what he's done for me. And I think that's the port, import of this text. Look at the world. Look at the description. This used to describe you. It used to describe me. 
but no more. And Satan's lie is to try to get you to believe it's still, that's still you. It's not. Yeah, but I still like to do some of these things. No, you don't. It's a lie. Because that's not, it's inconsistent with your character. Who are you in Christ? Do we really believe the Word of God? Do we really believe His promises? To echo our brother uh, Josue, who the other things, you know, do you really believe what we say we believe? Are these not, you know, has God promised? Has He not said? Do you believe it? Then live like it. Live like you believe what we say we believe. When you became a Christian, you changed realms. You're now a member of a new kingdom. No longer the kingdom of Satan. You belong to the kingdom of God and his Messiah. You are no longer in the kingdom of darkness, but in the kingdom of light. And so live like it. We are in the kingdom of light and hope and love. Do you believe? Do you believe you should, uh, not only should, but can live this new life? Do you? Has God not only redeemed you out of this world, but has he not equipped you? The work that he has begun, will he not finish it? He will, and you finish it in you. I mean, the depths of this, it's, it's mind-boggling if you really get, try to get a thing. You have been translated. You're not simply improved. You're not just a little better than what you used to be. This is something entirely new. And it is going to end with a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. He will accomplish and finish the work he began to the point where even further on in chapter 6 of Ephesians, what is the chapter 6 of Ephesians mostly known for? The full armor of God. And he goes through a list. Here is how he has equipped you. Here are the gifts that he has given to you to live this life because it is going to be a fight. We are in a war against the world. But he has given us everything we need to be successful in that fight. Your life is not an aimless existence, brethren. He has saved you for a purpose. Your life truly does have meaning. It's important every single individual. It matters to him, and therefore it matters to the world. We have been called to new life with a new purpose. And what is that purpose? In closing, let's look at Ephesians 3, verse 10. 
verse 10, Ephesians 3. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purposes that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. What is the purpose that God has called us to? That the manifold, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. There is a, not just a human purpose, but there is a divine and spiritual purpose that God proclaims to the heavens that he is Lord and he has saved his people. Brothers and sisters, therefore, praise him because our life is hidden with Christ in God. And if you have not believed, then rush to him and don't hesitate or delay. Don't believe the lies of Satan that you might need more time to think about it. As my, I think one of my favorite, if not my favorite hymn says, if you tarry until you're better, you will never come at all. So you that are in Christ, praise him. You that are in doubt, solve that right now by running to him. You that are out of him, choose him right now. Let's pray. Lord God, the, the wonder of your salvation is beyond the descriptions that we could come up with. Most illustrious words we could think of can only show a fraction of the wonder of your salvation and the praise of your glory. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore, Lord. And may we always learn to love you and praise you and seek you more than all things. We thank you for your word tonight. We ask that the words of man would fall to the ground and be forgotten, but your word would be engraved in our hearts and minds forever. In Jesus' holy name, amen.